Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Craving Creativity, a discussion about all things creative and the creative process. I am Zane C. Weber, here with my co-host... Thomas Mai. How are you going, Thomas? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Zane? Not too bad. Now, this is our very first episode, so we'll be finding our feet here today. But what we intend to do here is basically every week, every episode, we will bring you a an anecdote. Uh, an anecdote about something that someone has encountered in the creative process or one of a creator that we admire something that they have done and then talk about how that has affected us in the creative as we're both creatives um i guess we should introduce ourselves a little bit more i am well i'm a full-time podcast producer but i come from a theatrical background as well as a design and digital marketing background and what about you thomas well i come more from the film background i've been in the film business for the last uh, 20 25 years i would say i produced eight films i run two sales companies selling hundreds of films help finance and sell them around the world been lucky enough to be associated with films that won Oscars and Cannes and Berlin and Sundance and many other great film festivals. Um, and today, I yeah, that's my background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a humble, humble background. Um, yeah. So the the, the uh, layout of each episode, we'll, we'll bring this uh, this anecdote for discussion, and then we'll move on to uh, basically a top three list somehow related to that somehow related to that uh, anecdote. So Thomas has brought the anecdote that inspired this whole podcast from the very start. Um, uh, so yeah, well, what, what did you want to talk about? I want to talk about how rules can set you free. Now, that sounds counterintuitive and counterproductive, but by limiting yourself, you can actually become more creative. And it's it's weird, but you sit down, you're staring at that blank piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You can go anywhere you want, right? Or you open up your computer and oh, just check out YouTube. I only check my email. <laughs> and before you know it, you know, you, you forgot why you opened the computer in the first place or Absolutely. your phone or whatever it might be. So this has to do with filmmaking. And this is based upon my background in the film industry. And this story is what from I remember um, and what I've researched online to make sure this is actually what happened. Um, but I'm sure there's different versions out there. But we have to talk about the Dogma 95 movement. Dogma 95. Yeah. So there was four directors, basically. Lars von Trier. Uh, Søren Krav Jacobsen, um, Thomas Winterberg, and Christian Løring. These are all four four Danish directors who were known each um, and might um, have... Those names roll really easily off your tongue. They roll <laughs> easy off my tongue because I am Danish by <laughs> by birth. Um, they, they've correct we're pronouncing them was probably a little bit different in English. But the whole idea of Darkwing 95, by creating a set of rules they actually end up making some amazing films. And let me elaborate a little bit on this. So back in the early 90s, we had a culture minister in Denmark. Her name is Jude Hilton. 
And she was a big fan of Lars von Trier. If you don't know who Lars von Trier is, let's just run through some of his highlights. He did Dance in the Dark, the one uh, can with Björk back in the day. He did uh, Melancholia with, um, uh, oh my God, who's in the film? Uh, <laughs> this is embarrassing. Um, he's done uh, Dogville with Nicole Kidman. He's done Antichrist with William Defoe. He is a director that, let's just say him, he's, he's eccentric. And I, let's I just say he's uh, not everyone's <laughs> cup of tea. Let's just say that. It's also, I happened to work with him back in the day and I happened to uh, be running his sales company. So help with the financing and the sales mm-hmm. of, of his films. Long story short, Jude Hilton, big fan of Lars von Trier, um, wanted to give him a pot of money to make some low-budget films. Uh, every artist dream. Every artist dream because you liked him. But since the mug is a democracy and not a banana republic, there yeah. are rules and <laughs> of how you can a minister can award money to one person. And we have something called the Danish Film Institute. And Danish Film Institute is normally tasked with giving out money. And you can't just say, you there, get some money. Everybody has to be able to apply because we live in a democracy. Yeah, yeah. So they got very upset and it became a big big scandal and she had managed to secure some extra money from some some uh, gambling money from the tax authorities that she wanted to give to Lars von Trier but um, it ended up being that he, he had to apply for the money he was promised and he got so offended that he didn't want to apply so he sat down and said okay how can we make some money for some truly low budget films and he came up with what became the Darkwing 95 basically 10 rules that are very restrictive but because they're restrictive it's free of your creativity to do better. So one of the things you had to do was like you had to shoot the film on location. You cannot go into a set piece. You cannot build anything. Everything has to be shot on location. Another one is you have to have handheld camera. You have to no steady cam, no no uh, waiting for the camera to be set up. Just pick up the camera and just go. Another one was sound has to be made on location. You couldn't create music yep. or sound yep. effects afterwards. So everything had to be in picture on set. <laughs> All right. All right. And yep. that's very construed, but it's it makes you focus on on actually making of the film so yeah so i mean what 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 films are examples of Dogma 95. So Dogma 95 is, he did, uh, last one did The Idiots, um, which is basically a group of people who pretended they were idiots who could live off the welfare state and just run around and have fun. Uh, Thomas Vanderberg did The Festen, which is co- which ended up being The Celebration. Um, Thomas Vanderberg just recently won an Oscar mm-hmm. for another round for Best Foreign Film, but he did a film called The Celebration, which I think is a, is a masterpiece. It's really well done. Um, another of the rules is to, actors have to bring their own clothes. And because, so let me just ask you saying how long let's say you got a film crew and you got a hundred people it's the best people in the world you come on set how many minutes can you shoot of effective film time every single day when you're on set if you've got the best people in the whole world and everything just clicks and everything just works how many minutes of can you bring home for the editing table on a really really good day look ideally from like eight hours you wouldn't want any less than four but i'm thinking like maybe it's one minute yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's two it's two and a half minutes that's yeah. what it is so it's it's very because you're always waiting for the camera you're always waiting for the light you're always waiting for the set decorator you're waiting for costumes and then yeah, the actor's yeah. going to go have lunch and there's all these things that constantly interrupt you but by coming up with these rules and by constraining himself suddenly they could spend more time with the actors because they weren't waiting for the camera because you just pick it up yep. they weren't waiting yep. for the lighting department because that's one of the rules you ha- you can't <laughs> you can't wait for the lighting department and there's no clothes to wait up no makeup no hair no no sound so you can just concentrate on making a really good film and by limiting yourself you can really free yourself up and by having a handheld camera and back when they shot the films these were the first films that were shot on digital camera and then they were blown up to 35 millimeter. now it looks absolutely horrible today <laughs> and it's very handheld and but it was a revolution and it was 
was a big revolution just like the French New Wave. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it was a paradigm shift because before then, cameras were very expensive, 16mm cameras or 35mm cameras. And those could, could cost the down payment for a house, right? Yeah. And the editing equipment was also very expensive. And now suddenly this digital revolution started with the whole Dogme 5. And I just like the anecdote because... Uh, both Festin, the Celebration, and the Idiots ended up being shown in Cannes, and big highlights. Um, Celebration ended up winning a big prize uh, for Thomas Vanderberg. But it just started a new movement where films didn't have to cost a fortune. And I believe 32 films were eventually made under the Dogma banner before they yeah. start, stopped certifying films. But um, so, so Dogma 95 was like a certification thing? It was a certification okay, thing. They had to be signed by the four founders, the four brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. They had to, you got a certificate and you had to put that in front of your, yeah. your film. Because I can imagine that now, now that we have, well, this computer camera in our pockets, yes. there would be a lot of movies or at least films that are being made now that might qualify yeah. for Dogma 95 that aren't specifically. There's no, there's no uh, yeah. s- secretary of, of, of that. It doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. Nobody's yeah. applying. You can go out and shoot your own film. But there was just a, a breath of fresh air. But what I, the reason why I want to bring up this anecdote is because I just think it's so liberating when, because creativity, what is it? When you have endless amount of possibilities and endless amounts of things you can do, suddenly you get what is it called? I know you have to help me with the English here. <laughs> uh, uh, parale- parallelis- analysis? Is that what the term is called? Oh, uh, uh, paralysis. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, analysis, yeah. right? Because you, you just <laughs> overcomplicate things because there's so many options. And by yep. limiting yourself and only have very few options, you suddenly become creative free. And I think that's just very important. Um, well, that- I mean, that the old the old adage is that necessity is the mother of invention. And yes. invention is just another the word for creativity yes and if you don't have a need if you don't have a desire if you don't have something to work around then you're not going to be inventive you're not going to be creative and i think i mean i don't want to get too controversial too early but i think that might be what we're seeing with uh hollywood at least in the last five years where you've had the the first hundred million dollar movies being made uh, with literally no constrictions and there's like uh 30 main characters i'm talking about marvel movies i was about to say yes (laughs) and and it's just kind of like well what these aren't fun stories anymore this is literally just cramming as much flashing lights and and movement into into 90 minutes as you can um so i think yeah definitely like in my own experience when when someone's come to me and said look i i need something and i want you to do it no creative restrictions it's like well what am i meant to do with that because (laughs) (laughs) inevitably you do know what you want yeah you just don't want to tell me what it is. Or you can't formulate it. Yeah. You certainly yeah. know what you don't what you don't want. Yeah. Right? And that's also one way to let yourself. You know what you don't want to do or don't want to yeah. accomplish. Yeah. And that's one way of cutting it down as well. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, I guess setting down those rules, like in the in, in Dogma 95, setting down, down those rules gives people a framework to bounce off of and ways to kind of twist them to work to their advantage. Um, I can imagine that, like, just having the actors have to bring their own clothes is going to be like that's just a budget saving thing right like sure it might restrict you in what kind of what you can do to their clothes like you probably can't damage their clothes or whatever but that's probably more of a boon than like 
having to do all audio on site at the same time because that that's actually something you kind of have to think about how you're going to do that like mm. when it comes to eidetic or non-eidetic music like how do you add that in what do you do um so yeah I, I think that's it's definitely an interesting way of approaching approaching creativity whereas i suppose usually those restrictions in regular movie making would just come from budget yes and then it was definitely the budget here and yeah. here was how can we make a film and and give it a set of rules so it becomes artistic right yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day the film has still has to stand on its own merits but it was a way to control the budget by by doing these uh, things but i think it was an interesting experiment and something amazing came out of it mm. i i think looking back um obviously uh, some silly rules directors might not be credited which why can't they be credited that's, that's just dumb i mean <laughs> yeah, but they couldn't yeah. everyone knew it was him or her who did the films um could do the call no special lighting and all those things but but it was just cr- limiting you in that creativity so you could spend more time with the actors because that's what you really develop and i think it yeah. really shows in the film the celebration um which again was the first of the dogma films and i think that one is the strongest of the four yeah brothers that came uh, that came out with it and then the reason why i wanted to, to talk about this was just because the the, <laughs> the restrictions can set you free i mean and, and now i'm just talking general right but yeah. normally when you have a suppressed country it's just been oppressed for a long time you could get amazing art coming out after uh, afterwards mm-hmm. and if you go to a poor area or an area that has been neglected by a city council for a while <laughs> and a hip cafe moves in creativity comes out of there and then that's when the you know the uh, urban education comes in where where you, you the neighborhood goes up in value because more people start coming in there yeah. because of artists it's 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 it plays on many levels so it's just a way to i read somewhere that an architect i can't remember which one it is and it's a little bit embarrassing but he said that in order to draw something i start with the keyhole or the door right. handle and when i start I've done the door handle i suddenly get a picture of what is i want to do instead of just going with this i mean because again the sky's yeah. the limit anything can be <laughs> happen right and then and if somebody comes and say hey i want it this way or that way it constricts you to be creative within that that element well i guess if we're if we're taking it broad like the um weimar period in germany is mm-hmm. one of is widely regarded as one of the most creative periods in history and it was is existed during the roaring 20s in yeah. germany and like the invention of cabaret the popularization of um i guess a queerness and jazz and and even drag can have its get has heavy roots back there um and there was kind of born of this oppression um that came before it and then kind of the release of that kind of led to the discovery so the yeah. creativity had happened and then people were discovering it for the first time um but then i guess you can also go back to the invention of blues and jazz in in the u.s and and just the the, the i guess the wealth of creativity that came out of the african-american population because they had been uh so so poorly treated mm. and and put into ghettos and and discriminated against because they didn't have access to um to the arts and that's yeah of thing they created their own and 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 kind of it created the these amazing art forms that we get to enjoy even now today yeah, yeah. absolutely and then i i think it's something about restricted we just want to go back to the we are republic yes. we had yeah. world war one before that and then we had the spanish flu which yeah got rid of a lot of people so a lot of creativity coming out now i'm not advocating we should all go <laughs> and live restrictive or go live in regimes that treat you absolutely poorly it's just 
when suddenly you've got all the options in the whole world and you're free and you can do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. that's one of the one of the we live in an amazing country like Australia where you have so many opportunities, right? Yeah. And you have great health care, free health care. You, you can go to any school you want to. The government will lend you the money. And so there's all these opportunities, but also people are, you know, don't know what they want to do because yeah. there's just too many options. And I'm not saying we should restrict it. I'm just saying the downside is that you have too many options and people just wander around what do you want to do. Yeah, I guess it, I think I think maybe it's just you don't you don't have the focus that restriction gives you. Yes. Because if all you can do is write a story, yeah. then and you don't have to think about costuming that or, or like <laughs> having that story also fit into uh, a 20 a 24 minute TV show with ad breaks at 8 minutes and 14 minutes. Yeah. Then you can tell whatever story you want there and you're just focused on the storytelling. I think like those other restrictions also breathe their own kind of creativity um, through self-reference. But I think, yeah, what Dogma 95 did was remove pretty much all of the elements except the story and the acting yes. and kind of allowed you to focus just on the getting the best result of that one part or those those few parts of a film. Um, so yeah, maybe that that is what kind of sets you free is because you don't have to worry about everything. You just have to worry about these few important things um, and kind of feeding your creativity through that funnel um, is what kind of distills it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's 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 just important. That I think that <laughs> we 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 got to find that creative space where we can create things mm. and by restricting ourselves, whether it's physically, mentally, <laughs> legally, or whatever it is, that's also an, a, a rebellion. There's something about being oppressed and being rebellious about it and, and showing the world we don't care. Last one, Trier's case, he yeah. didn't get to apply for the money he was promised and oh, he, he could but he didn't want to apply and so yeah, he go yeah. if you to everyone else I'm going to come up with this new concept and and, and, and and within that I'm going to create these films which are can stand hopefully the test of time yeah so do, does this follow into any of your practice is just like how how do, when you're approaching a project do you kind of like set out limitations on what you're going to do or is it or is this just kind of something that kind of has to be coming from the outside so could Lars von Trier do you think it would have happened if it was just Lars, or do you think it needed the four people to kind of decide? No, these are the restrictions. Um, it could have been just Lars because he yeah. was such a big name already um, uh, at the time, uh, Breaking the Waves and all these other amazing films. Um, I think the, the he just got together with them to make it bigger than just him, mm -hmm. even though it was about him. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that's my perspective uh, perception of it. Um, personally, that was a good question you asked before. How do you limit yourself? See, me, if I have all the time in the world, I get nothing done, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. and I push it off until another time. Yeah, so um, you need accountability. Time. Oh, I need accountability, and I need time constraint. I need deadlines. Mm. And the closer you get to a deadline, the more I can get done. Yeah. And the closer, uh, so that's a constraint in there and and if it's, if it's delivering schoolwork in the old days like finishing <laughs> a paper or whatever it is the more the time is the more creative because I'm forced to ever have to eliminate every other distraction there is because we live in a world full of distractions yeah. and it's so easy to ah as I said before let's just check out that YouTube video or hey I need to finish up an episode of this or that or listen to the podcast or whatever you need to do but by constraining yourself okay now it now it's it it's now or never I need if, if, <laughs> yeah. if I'll fall off the cliff if I don't get this done by this time right and and so by doing that, um, it is interesting, like how school or at least like the school that I went through. And it sounds like the school that you went through as well, trains you to be to, to get focused right towards the end of the deadline. Yeah. Whereas like it would make perfect logical sense to do every 
everything two weeks ahead of it, <laughs> yeah, two yeah. weeks in advance, yeah. and just like put that fake deadline there. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's about giving it a hundred percent concentration because yeah. you are up against that line. I mean, the only thing you can is sleep and eat. That's it. You just gotta gotta finish it. You gotta yeah. finish it to get over that hurdle. And it's not very healthy mentally <laughs> or stressful too, because every minute really really counts. Yeah. Um, I used to fly a lot and just another thing to talk about but um and and i would always leave the last man to get to the airport and i found out i shortened my life ridiculously because there's always a delay there's always a traffic jam or <laughs> the train is late or whatever it is so i learned myself to take get out to the airport much much earlier and not be yeah. stressed about that so it can also work with you and against you but having that constraint starting to get things done is 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 important for me yeah how do you work see how, I, do you I, limit yourself you you as a podcast medium here i mean podcasting as a medium is itself fairly restrictive mm. because it is audio only. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of why I, because podcasting is a new medium, you still have a lot of people exploring it in very different ways. There isn't, there isn't the... Uh, the set like half hour with with ad breaks and that sort of thing no. kind of format set down. So I think finding the interesting ways through just audio, the interesting ways to express yourself, that is the interesting part of podcasting specifically. Um, that being said, I do fall into the trap of like, well, you know, I've set up a format for another show, so I'm just going to copy and paste that over to this show without going through that whole process again. Um, that being said, I, I think that is my uh, the way that I approach creativity is I do it through uh, restricting the medium that I can use. Um, so definitely when I was doing theatre, you would definitely be, res you're restricted by like the size of the stage and the, the the budget for like what you have for sets. So I would like to start from nothing. Yeah. To do it with absolutely anything and then anything that you can add, you can add in an interesting way. So I think by artificially restricting yourself to say, okay, well, I have nothing to work with. I just have actors. Um, and then building from there allowed every step to be a creative step yeah. rather than just kind of like, okay, well, we've got, we've got one we've got two brick walls we'll just use both of them yeah even though we don't really need them and yeah. we've got like all these chairs and whatever i was like well no let's just let's have an act to be a chair <laughs> yeah um so i think that's how i use restrictions in my creative process but again being aware of all the different options and everything i could be doing really does kind of cause me to freeze and just go like well uh, which one do i start with first because mm. there's like a lot of projects in my head that like it could be like a fine art sculpture project that i would love to do but I just like, well, I don't have any of the materials. I would need to teach myself a few different processes to start. So I'm just not going to, it's not going to think about it for now. But like maybe if I had, uh, I didn't have the means to do other things creatively, that is what I would be focusing. And so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. This, this kind of like the privilege that we have is also kind of causing a kind of stagnation in like my own creativity because I'm, I'm doing something nominally creative every day. But again, if you, if, if I don't focus on it it's not it's not actually a creative process it's simply simply a process mm. yeah so i'm not actively changing and thinking and engaging with creative exactly mm. um i like what you're saying about the theater because when you go to the theater and you're watching something you know there's a stage right there yeah. <laughs> and we know we're, we're going to push a plant in here <laughs> and put a brick wall there and that's just where it is but because we accept it mm. we accept it as an audience and then we go for the story we go for the acting and going back to last von trier he did dogville with Nicole Kidman yep. 
and that was basically a gymnasium floor, a gym floor, and then he put some chalk marks on the floor, and he said, this is house one, house two, and house three, this is the street, and on paper, it sounds absolutely crazy, And but when you sit and watch the film, it's a very, very long film, I just want to point <laughs> out, I held, I held <laughs> in many ways in that film, but it's a very long film, but that besides that, but it, these chalk marks on the floor, instead of having walls and houses and yeah. sets and pieces, he just said, let's just do that. It actually works. The, mm-hmm. the, the drama comes out, the acting comes out, the characters come out, and you see them, and you see the, all the other people in the background because there's no set pieces hindering them not to see them. So it, it does work. And again, that's another limiting way um, of, of, of doing creativity, as I said, with the, with the theaters, that you accept that that is how it is yeah. as an audience and as a director and as an actor, and here it is. Well, that's the thing. I, I think audiences appreciate that because they're, you, that, then you're asking them to be creative in how they're perceiving yes. what they're what yes. they're um, what they're consuming exactly. So that's something like that, something yeah. like uh, like uh, Lars von Trier's Dogville, yeah, and something like uh, I guess what buried or any any film that's like set in a really contained space. Yes, you're asking the the audience to kind of like really be there and see what you're doing on the screen. Mm. Yeah, but we have to cut this short. Yes, we will be back next time. But we want to round out the every episode with a top three list that has something to do with what we were discussing. Personal list. Yeah. So uh, we want to go with our personal top three directors this week. Uh, so I'm going to let you go first um, because I'm bored by my answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should uh, take turns at talking about oh, each that's one. A, that's right? a better way to do it. Um, yeah. So for me, and I guess in the bigger context, I like directors that are auteurs. And I, what I mean by that, that's, that's writer-directors, people who write their own stuff and then put it to, to, to screen. And the first groundbreaking director that has meant so much for film industry and such is Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. And this oh. guy was a genius because he would write, he would act, he would direct, he would he would have the music. Some smile is, is still a song that we listen to today that he wrote a long time One of ago. My favorite songs of all time. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful song about friendship and 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 how you can overcome those. But also what he did and what people in the film industry, outside the film industry, he broke up the monopoly of the Hollywood studios. Yeah. So he created United Artists, which became its own studio because back then studios would own an actor for ten films or fifteen films, and you couldn't switch. Sometimes the studios would move an actor over to this to the other studio if you can get another one they would trade but you were locked in by studios and he said how can we be creative we are locked down so yeah. he created you on an actor so that's my first one because I think it's just so important absolutely um, I didn't even think to go back that far but yeah no. Chaplin is one of my favourite yeah. kind of people specifically for all the reasons that you just said he is a comedic genius and just a genius and, and drama and drama genius yeah. and of course we see him I, but I feel they're the same the slapstick humour <laughs> yeah. but there's, of course there's also drama because he did have uh, you know, um, roles where he played yeah. silent films, but we still had amazing drama and acting. Yes. Absolutely. So um, who's your... Well, look, anyone who knows me knows that I can't not put Quentin Tarantino on this yes. list. Again, an auteur. Um, Quentin Tarantino's is known mostly for his dialogue. Yeah. Um, And And violence. And incredible violence. (laughs) Um, And while I don't particularly lend myself towards appreciating hyper-violence from anyone else. Um, I honestly, I think what gets me about Tarantino's work is his his ability to homage 
and kind of exaggerate and, and, and extrapolate from that homage to make it something more than what it was without making it in your face, but like making you aware that it's happening. He's He doesn't try to pretend that he's making up this. He, he literally references something and then explores it to its furthest degree. Um, all of his movies... Uh, probably would feature on my top ten, and he's done nine movies except for <laughs> except for his last one. Um, while it's a fine movie, it made lots of weird choices that I that then that's once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, and my my introduction to Tarantino was uh, Kill Bill, which was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. Yeah. Um, and still might be my favorite film of all time. So, uh, yeah. So Tarantino again, he's a great writer, um, but I think the way that he references other texts and puts them together honoring and 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 kind of accentuating them in such a way is is really i've never seen any other any other writer director do that no yeah i agree with you tarantino is i mean he's you can't get around him i mean yeah. he's uh reservoir dogs of course great pulp fiction was in can they ended up winning can yeah controversy people were upset they left there was outcry but he's even the bad guys and the good guys, you just their dialogue. It just makes you like them. You cannot, yeah. you cannot not like them. I mean, it, it, don't care who is in that show, and it's just they're interesting characters. And he yeah. certainly brings that um, to him. Uh, he shouldn't act himself. I think he learned that oh, a long time absolutely ago. Absolutely not. Uh, but um, and his obsession with Australian accents is <laughs> frankly, uh, <laughs> frankly embarrassing. Um, but you know, <laughs> no, no. But his dialogue is amazing. I, yeah. I, 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 I can, I concur with that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You put it. On the list all right um the second one i want to talk about is the cohen brothers they're my number two as well well there we go <laughs> we, maybe we should have coordinated this we didn't <laughs> um i just think what they're so good at is going from genre to genre do different kind of films and musicals yep. with old brother without you to fargo to uh i mean the big lebowski all these films are just I just think they could bring something different and fresh, and I think it's it's amazing that they write them and they. And, and the they... fact that you can say that they're fresh while still being decidedly Coen Brothers esque. Yeah. Like you, you know a Coen Brothers movie when you're watching it, but it's they're never like the same. No. Um, like the, just the difference between Fargo and A Brother Where Out You. Yeah. Or, Where or, Out or, or No Country for Old Men. I <laughs> mean, it's just. It's just... <laughs> Um, and I think their creative process is one of the most interesting in Hollywood because um, they make such conscious choices about what genre they're going to do and yep. how they're going to do it and, and alternating between them. Um, and I think the fact that there are two of them working together, that that is also an interesting dynamic. It's like they put their own label on a genre. Okay, this is a defined genre. We're going to put our own label it and we're going to take a different place. And I yep. like that. And their characters are always just very rich and original. And instead of being cookie cutter, paper, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Also, incredibly dramatic. Yes, um, very much so. The the dramatic timing in all of their movies is uh, is very fun. Um, usually to great comedic and but also just uh, kind of storytelling ends. The timing of their movies and and the beats that they hit are are amazing. Mm. Um, and I think that that is how you pick a Coen Brothers movie is like yep. how how, how it, they move from one scene to another and how the characters are. Uh, um, uh, track through the movie yeah, yeah. no no I, I well we both agree because yeah so, so what's your third one then uh so my third one is Hayao uh, Miyazaki um so uh Miyazaki interesting is uh basically famous for his work with Studio Ghibli yeah 
Um, so he has done a lot of work. I really only discovered him through Ghibli. Yeah. Um, but again, he was director, producer, writer, whatever. Now, what I love about his work is the kind of how small the stories are, but how they they only focus on the emotional effectiveness of the stories. Um, Spirited Away is probably the most famous one. Mm-hmm. And it's probably the biggest in scope with just all the different characters and the mythology involved with it. But even with all of that, uh, I get all of those frippery involved in the movie, it's still such an emotional tale. Yeah. And I think um, I think the folk tale and the writing and um, the, the simplistic direction in uh, My Neighbor Totoro Mononoke, uh, a Howl's Moving Castle, um, I think, yeah, Miyazaki really has, is a master of what he does. Um, I think every, and again, it's animation, so you know that kind of every everything that appears on the screen is a conscious choice. Um, so yeah, I think that he he was he's my number three. That's a that's a good one. Um, that's a very good one. I like that. Um, I think that Studio Ghibli has it's amazing how that small studio has turned out so many great yeah and classic uh, films. Um, of course, animation, but still a very powerful, very influential, coming from a smaller <laughs> language barrier <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. smaller territory and different culture, but it still adapts to a universal story that we can all relate to around the world mm. so I think that's a that's pretty uh, pretty pretty interesting so my last one um, is Chris Nolan excellent I think Chris Nolan is you, you got to put your head on right when you go and watch a Chris Nolan film because he just challenges you and pushes the envelope of what we will accept as an audience. You know, um, Memento, amazing film. Memento is probably my favorite film of his. Yeah. Okay, well, but but just that film alone, oh, yeah. made on low budget, and and apparently the story is the rumor is that in Sundance when the film was shown back then, you know, films comes in these containers, canisters, and you have to splice them together. And apparently there was a mix-up, and the, it's just a story I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's a folk legend in the film industry that the uh, the operator had made a difference between uh, Splice 3 and 4. But it doesn't matter because yeah. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> it's, 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 if you want to do that, it's one of the, I don't know if it's true, but that's definitely a rumor that ran around the film industry when it premiered <laughs> in Sundance. But, you know, from Memento to... Um, Inception, I think, from a yeah. you know the dream within a dream within a dream of what what is reality, what's not reality, where will we go, and what's our point. I mean, it just it just comes out on, on so many levels. And then, of course, I think Interstellar was good. I, th- I don't like the first 30, 40 minutes, and after that, yeah. it just becomes a masterpiece. But of course, all ties together. His I mean, li- his his mastery of visuals, I yes. think, and the cinematography involved, like that changing gravity hallway fight in yeah. Inception. Uh, I, I mean, most of yeah, most of Interstellar. Um, but but even even the 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 action scenes in uh, Dark Knight just just uh, a, a chef's chef's kiss. Yeah, um, perfect scenes. What's amazing is at that time, Batman and DC and thereby Warner Brothers were ruling the world in terms of superheroes. Yeah, the Marvel hadn't really come out yet. I mean, Iron Man, I think, had just come out at the time. Yeah, they were just, just starting, starting to, yeah. but damn. an extended universe that they hadn't thought about that yet. and Chris Nolan just reinvented the genre made it you know a drama I mean yeah. and, and story and you've just amazing and then since then Marvel's just taking over and we've had not so good Supermans and <laughs> Justice League and all that stuff I just think he took it down a, a path that was just just amazing um, but I like his his take on everything I like the way he just changes 
as I said, I mean, when you watch any of his films, you're really going to go, okay, okay. I mean, like with Tenet, right? It's just, you don't, <laughs> it's a film you have to watch a couple of times just yeah, to yeah. get all the elements of it. A story, okay, a story that goes forward and backwards in time and meets in the middle. I mean, it's just, how do you just come up with that idea? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I do think now Christopher Nolan is specific, like I think, I feel that Tenet was specifically written so that he could challenge himself. Oh, talk about challenging and talk <laughs> about uh, constraining yeah. And, yeah. And, and being creative within a, 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 I mean, how do you make a story that goes forward and backwards in time at the same yeah. time? Yeah, and that's and I think that that that's the interesting thing about Chris Nolan is that he, yeah, he is kind of exploring the limits of what technology and film can do at the same time. Yeah, um, absolutely. And even Dunkirk also thing is is, is just yeah. just you know the way was it three weeks, three hours, three days? I can't remember what the whole setup is, but still, yeah, this just I think those three directors and you're probably wondering listening to this why I'm not mentioning Lars von Trier if I don't <laughs> work with it <laughs> sorry I mean, Lars three is a small number three is a very small number yeah. and, and, and and as I said it's not for everyone's cup of tea yeah. I love that Lars von Trier is bending and crashing and being rebellious and trying to destroy the yeah. what is perceivable what you can do but it is challenging films to watch and they can be very challenging and they certainly push you um, and that's what he wants uh, yeah. like a Gaspar Noé who is also the French director I don't know if you're aware with him but also want to really really push you out of your seat and just want to I mean I violently have, I have shake you from <laughs> with my partner all the time yeah. my partner loves movies that kind of uh, push the the bounds of good taste to try to make you make you question why you're watching movies yeah. and I'm like that's fine but I like <laughs> movies that function as movies yeah. should who, yeah. that tell a story yes and, I, I, I'm, and, I'm I'm with you there and then <laughs> And like I can appreciate what they're doing as creatives and as people, but that doesn't mean that I really enjoy watching their movies. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, Lars, if you ever listen to this. Uh, yeah. That being said, uh, Dancer in the Dark is one of my favorite movies. Uh, Antichrist was on the list for a while, but it is a difficult movie yeah. to watch. It's a very um, difficult movie to watch. Yeah. And again, it's just pushing people's breaking the waves. It's just. But Dancer in the Dark, I was involved with that, and yeah. and I was in Cannes when we, when we and I say we we won Cannes with that film but I was there because I, I was selling yeah. the films I ran the sales company and what an amazing time man what a amazing time it's 21 years ago <laughs> in May this year so it's a while ago but it was just uh, wow we were top of the world back then it was it was amazing absolutely well thank you for listening to the first episode absolutely um, <laughs> we'll be back next time with uh, another discussion I guess we'll just top off our we'll just recap our list to, to end out so your list of top three your top three favourite directors were uh, Chaplin Charlie Chaplin Chaplin, um, and we both had Cohen Brothers, mm -hmm. and then um, Chris Nolan. Yeah, and so I had Tarantino, the Cohen Brothers, and Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, so yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to send an email. That'll be send an email to us. We'll put an email address in the episode notes, uh, and we'll be back next time with another episode. So thank you very much, Thomas, for bringing thank us you. the story of Dogma ninety five, uh, and we'll be back soon. Next time we'll hear an anecdote from you. Can't uh, wait. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.